And hello and welcome to my new podcast for Haunted Histories and it's yours truly Penny Griffiths Morgan. Now I'm recording this on a, well anyway, I think apparently the whole of Europe is 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 sweltering somewhat at the moment. I'm not complaining but um, yeah if you're watching the video and you see me doing this a few times, I'm hot. And I can't put my fan on because it makes too much noise. But my guest today is coming to us from the beautiful country of Romania. And I got put in touch with him when I did a week on Haunted Histories of Romanian facts and Romanian ghost stories and everything else. And uh, Maria, Maria Schmidt said, you've got to talk to my friend Vlad. So I did. And Vlad has kindly agreed to come on my show. And we're going to be talking kind of Transylvania beyond Dracula but the conversation we've just been talking to for 40 minutes about various things to do with Romania so the conversation might go off a bit but Vlad Blage, thank you very much for joining me. It's nice to be here Penny and yes indeed we already started with a few topics right uh, right from the start. We did. It's good to be here and it's good to extend the Romanian and Transylvanian summer across all of Europe. <laughs> um, we usually come out at night in the summer in Romania and Transylvania. It's a century old tradition. Uh-huh. So we will dig deeper into those uh, into those myths Definitely. and why we like to come out at night. Uh, and there is no uh, coincidence, maybe for my for my uh, first name Vlad. I had to keep the tradition um, of uh, of my fellow countrymen that have dedicated their service to Romania and Transylvania. Actually, um, my um, roots. Uh, tracing back to my my um, my family tree uh, is also coming from from Transylvania. Even though I'm based in Bucharest right now, and it's insanely hot, as you mentioned, um, in Transylvania the air is cool cooler. Yeah. Uh, so uh, even in the movies that they portray in Transylvania, there's a chilly breeze whenever you go through those medieval castles and those rolling hills. Um, so Blaj is uh, indeed a town in Transylvania, and that's a perfect pronunciation. Nobody got it right so far. So really, uh, very happy. Yeah, I, I, I'm very, I'm very honest. And um, yeah, we were just joking about the Spanish pronunciation of Vlad Blaj, which would be blah blah. Blah <laughs> <laughs> blah. So well, some... um, Hotel Transylvania, blah blah blah. <laughs> there you go. That, that... That's the funny part because people say, ah, so you're Dracula and this is your real name, blah, blah. blah so blah. they're all right. Yes. Maybe, my they, my, my nine-year-old son is going to die laughing when I tell him this because he loves yes. the, he, he comes out and he goes, blah, blah, blah. And I'll be like, yeah, I've met blah, blah, blah. <laughs> it's true. It is true. Tall, skinny guy, a little bit dark, uh, dark skinned, uh, uh, dark haired as well. And a little beard like uh, like Dracula himself. So um, yeah, it's uh, it's a pleasure to to be here, and I'm very excited uh, to discuss uh, all topics going uh, about Dracula and beyond, especially yes. the beyond part. Especially the beyond, um, because as we mentioned before, right at the start, there's a lot of maybe myths, legends. Um, 
that are associated uh, due to popular culture that were portrayed in all kinds of Hollywood movies, books, mm. games, uh, and so on. And with the invasion of uh, so many vampire trilogies around us, then it's good to debunk some of these uh, uh, facts or, or, or information going around. Or find out where the, um, almost the idea for some of this fiction has come from. I mean, when you, you gave me some of the terminologies to look for, and I was thinking, I'm sure I've heard that in The Witcher. I'm sure I've heard that in something else. I'm sure. And 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 it's really sort of like, ah, oh, that's where it comes from. Now, one of the first things, I mean, you run your own tour business called Romanian Thrills, which people can find on Facebook. I think you've got a website as well. Haven't sure, you? absolutely. Yeah. We, do, we do country tours, so we don't focus only on Transylvania. Um, we're <laughs> experts on all Romania. We do only tours in Romania. I am um, a history graduate in Romania, tourism graduate in Romania. And this is what I like to do, invite people in my country because this is how we started. I had a lot of friends who said, hey, you should do tours because mm -hmm. I mean, whenever they would come over, uh, you have the right name, you have the right uh, attitude or personality and the right knowledge. I'm like, okay, let's do a business. Yeah. It is called Romanian Thrills. We do tours all around the country, usually multi-day tours, but we do go around Bucharest for those people who have less time. And we like to dig deeper um, beyond the classic, let's uh -huh. say, information. Uh, so we like to, dig, to, to pull the curtains, go behind the curtains and see what actually happened in Transylvania centuries ago, how it impacted people's lives even nowadays, yeah. the way they lived, their folk traditions, their pagan rituals and beliefs. How did right. that impact the society today in Romania? And why is it Romania still under a certain touristic fog? I ask a lot of people like Romania, what is there to do or what is happening in Romania? I've heard of Romania. Everybody has heard of mm -hmm. Romania. But if we dig deeper, nobody knows exactly what to expect of mm. Romania, which I kind of like. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, I kind of do know quite a, a little bit about, because I say it's been a country I've wanted to visit quite some time, but that's me. I like to go the places that you don't hear everyone saying they're going if I can. Um so you've got your tourism company, Romanian Thrills. You go all over the place. Now, you mentioned that you're, you've are you got a Transylvanian heritage, but you live in Bucharest at the moment. What part in the, because Romania was kind of split into like four regions in the old, when it was, it was Transylvania, Mol Let's do a quiz. Molda yes. Moldava? Moldava? Yeah, yeah. Moldavia and, uh, or and, uh, Moldova? Valachia? Valachia? Valachia, yes. Valachia? Those were the three and main you know areas. The fourth one, if you know the fourth one, then you will Ooh. be also not only the first one to get the last name right, but also to get the fourth province. Oh, I don't know the fourth province. The fourth province nobody knows about because it was under the Ottoman Empire. Yeah? Um, so it's a very small province by the Black Sea at the very eastern border of Europe with Asia, the gateway okay. basically uh, towards Constantinople. Uh -huh. or today's Istanbul. Yeah. And the name is Dobruja. It is called D-O-B-R-U-D-J-A mm -hmm. uh, in English. And I was actually born there because oh. this province only came into Romanian in territory uh, in 19th century. It was a historical medieval province of Valachia initially. 
But with the Ottoman advancement in medieval times, it was incorporated into their empire for around five centuries. And some people, when this was incorporated in Romania, from other parts of the country were sent there to repopulate those uh, lands. Mm -hmm. So my ancestors coming from the town of Blaj, which is a very quaint little town in Transylvania, the heart of Transylvania, came around 150 years ago to this region of Dobroja. Mm -hmm. And me, because I don't like small towns, I went forward and moved to Bucharest, where I could run my operations and go around the country and explore the world. So what region would Bucharest have been in? Bucharest is is, uh, the capital of Romania. Bucharest, not Budapest, our neighboring country, uh, Hungary. Uh, When you remember, Bucharest has an R in it from Romania. Okay, yeah, but so would it know. would it have been Wallachia? Would it have been? It would have been Wallachia. Right. You can say Wallachia, but most of the people will call it Wallachia. Wallachia. Okay. Uh, yes, the, with with the V, um, and that would have been the region inhabited by, let's say, uh, Romanians attested for uh, the first time in around 14th century. And it was the province that was constantly under the raid of the Ottomans Mm. because it is the province just north of Danube, the most important river in Europe Mm -hmm. that goes through so many capital cities nowadays. And it was kind of a natural border between where the Ottomans would settle to conquer and where they would want to go to go further. So Bucharest, it is not in the center of the country of Romania nowadays. In the center of the country, we would have maybe a Transylvanian city mm-hmm. and it is in the south part of Romania nowadays. So Bucharest is just one hour away driving from the Danube or back in the days, a few days marching okay. from the Danube. And uh, it's it, it for this reason, it has more uh, influence from the Ottomans and from the, uh, let's say, Oriental uh, habits and ways of life, especially back in the days. Okay. So what's I, it leads me on to the next thing that, I mean, you've got on your T-shirt and which I'll, I'll put onto the, um, <laughs> I'll put onto the, the, the video. Um, the guy that everyone thinks is Count Dracula, Vlad Tepesh. Is that correct? Tepesh? Did I get yes, that right? Tepesh. If you put, uh, yes, a TZ, so, let's say in English, it will, okay. say, it will come Tepesh. Tepesh. Most people know him as Vlad the Impaler. Now, something I found interesting was he was actually from Wallachia. He wasn't Transylvanian, was he? Um, it's debatable. Okay. It's tricky. It's complicated, as with all medieval history, I would say, because again, in medieval history, we didn't have the internet, we didn't have Wikipedia, we didn't have like uh, thorough history books, especially in this parts of the world where there was a lot of war going on mm-hmm. and not a centralized government. So basically, whoever was the toughest ruler would come into power and rule over their subjects, mm-hmm. unless the Ottoman Empire in these areas would come over and take uh, take over. So, um, in uh, while Vladimir Paler which Vlad Tsepesh literally means the impaler. Tsepesh means the impaler. 
the wife who impales. That would be the translation. And it's a Slavic term because by that time, Romanians were influenced by the Slavic populations around them, like Bulgarians and and, uh, Serbs and uh, Ukrainians or Russians, Polish and so on. Mm -hmm. And he was actually born in Transylvania. We do not know for sure 100%, as we do not know for sure 100% the history of medieval times. Mm -hmm. But um, legend, not legend, historians kind of agree that he was born in a little house in the middle of Sigishwara. Sigishwara Mm -hmm. is one of the UNESCO cities of Romania because it is one of the last uh, inhabited medieval citadels still inhabited nowadays. So people go still going around their business in that city wall, in those city walls with mm-hmm. palisades and with, with uh, portcullises and crenels uh, and so on. And in that house, um, that belonged to his father. Mm-hmm. During those times, uh, it was customary for your son to be born in the house you own. We have discovered, historians have discovered a fresco uh, on inside on the interior of that house depicting his father okay. so he was the owner of the house uh, most certainly and all the probabilities would lead us that he was born in Sigishwara most certainly he was born in Transylvania be it Sigishwara or anywhere else probably in Sigishwara because it coincides with the time that fresco is dated from mm-hmm. uh, middle of 15th century is when Vladimir Paler uh, was born. We don't even know the exact uh, year mm. in which he was born. We know the exact years in which he ruled mm. because everybody remembered his rule. However, the tricky part is that he was the ruler, not of Transylvania as most people would tend to believe, but he was the ruler of Wallachia. Mm-hmm. And moreover, he was ruling not from necessarily a castle in Transylvania, but from a princely court in Bucharest. He not only was ruling from this area, but he is considered the founding father of the capital of his, the founding father of Bucharest itself, even though the city or the settlement of Bucharest dates for, let's say, around a thousand years from now, uh, through all kinds of legends, it Mm -hmm. was firstly officially attested, officially attested, during his reign around 1450, when he was uh, asking for troops in his fight against the Ottomans. So he was born in Transylvania, ruled Wallachia, and he went all over the place in his never-ending quest to keep the countries or the province independent in in front of the Ottoman threat. Okay, because the castle that a lot of people think is Dracula's castle, is it Bran? castle that's the one a lot of people think but i would rather go to poenari castle that's correct poenari that would be the one i'd rather go and visit if i wanted to get close to to vlad was he the third vlad the third he was wasn't he, he vlad was the vlad the third yeah it's all those villains that people portray vlad the third richard the third right <laughs> actually yes because <laughs> yeah um, but i'd rather go to i mean i know it's something like 1200 steps to get up to Ponari, but i i'd rather go and visit there than bran i it mean is, Bran's beautiful but to me Ponari has got a lot more to it if we're looking at vlad the third it is interesting if you do want to do a historical account or a historical tour mm. following into the footsteps of Vladimir Paler, you can do so. And if you want to visit uh, Romania following into the 
character of Bram Stoker's Dracula, mm. then you can do a different tour and it will be mm. totally different. Yeah. Because this is where things started splitting. It was when Bram Stoker started started popularizing, let's say, uh, his character of Dracula compared to the original Dracula. Because first things first, uh, we have discussed about Vlad the Impaler or Vlad Tsepesh, mm -hmm. but that is only a nickname. Vlad the Impaler, Richard the Lionheart, and so on. His real name, last name, was Vlad Dracula. Mm -hmm. So that is a real name that exists, and he was the real guy behind the legend. Mm -hmm. um, now, in regards to the castle where he was going to defend his position, it is true that it would have been Poinar. Because Poinar is a little fortress, a little fortification. It's not one of these princely castles, beautiful, you know, Disney castle. You go around and you look into the bedroom and so on. It was a very functional military yeah. fortress. Yeah. So as you mentioned, nowadays we have the luxury to climb. A lot of people say, oh, it's so complicated. We need to, to climb 1,400, more than 1,400 steps. It's funny, actually, they decided to make 1,456 steps. 1,456 steps, because that's the year in which he ended his most uh, um, crucial, his most important rule. Wow. So you, you climb the same number of steps as the year in which he ended his most important rule. Wow. Uh, there is no funicular cable car or anything like that. If you want to see the real deal, you need to climb those steps. But back in the days, there was no such thing as climbing those steps because what you wanted was a vantage point from a military perspective to give you that crucial advantage in front of your enemies. Mm. This happened before the Ottomans have brought their cannons. Once the cannons started being used more often into military tactics and warfare, then it was a matter of just finding a nearby hill or less on the same height and starting bombarding that fortress. Unfortunately, it was not um, so efficient anymore to protect mm. yourself on the top, perched on the top of a hill. Until then it worked charms it worked wonders it was not the castle that he built himself he actually reinforced um on a little fortification wooden fortification that existed there through a pass through the mountains of transylvania um, but he built it and reinforced it during his reign so if you're passionate about history and the actual place that is has a special energy if you mm. ask me because that's the real place where battles have been yep. held then that's the place. Bram isn't, Castle. Isn't Ponar also meant to be the place where his wife threw herself off the cliff? So the that's Ottomans where couldn't most capture of the her. actions happened. That's where most of the actions happened. Mm. Uh, on Netflix, there's a pretty good documentary about the, uh, the, the, the most important rule of Vladimir Paler, not about his whole life, but his most important rule and maybe even his childhood. Uh, it is called Mehmet versus Vlad. Uh, or the Ottoman series. Yeah. I believe it's only all history TV and so on. Uh, it's made by the Turks, which obviously can be biased, but they invited Romanian historians, in, international historians from England, from, uh, from the US as well. And uh, again, uh, as we were discussing, when you take your sources from multiple, multiple um, uh, areas, then mm. you might be closer to the truth yeah. uh, during those medieval times. So um, 
speaking of of that, it depicts also the the castle of Poinar as being the center of of all the actions. This yeah. is where the attacks would uh, would happen, the sieges and so on, uh, as they were hunting, let's say, for Dracula before it was cool. Before you would hunt Dracula with a stake and mm-hmm. with garlic or with uh, silver bullets, you would hunt for Dracula with your army. Okay. Well, no, it's it's the what I think I saw it on uh, abandoned engineering. It was something like that that I saw it on, and, and I thought, oh, that looks interesting. And I'd heard yes. of it. I had heard of it, but I didn't know the full story. And uh, yeah, it, it's it was. Um, but the the interesting thing is, if we we ju- we, I mean, we're jumping around a little bit. But Bram Stoker, he's meant to have actually used a Scottish castle as his inspiration for castle dracula not and and he'd never even been to romania and he picked up the name dracula because he read in a book it meant devil and thought that sounds good sounds good that's so, a good nickname for my character exactly so he'd know he, he <laughs> suppose that he didn't even know the history of lads he did his research he did a he'd, good oh, yes. research uh, however, the research that he did was based only, again, on one account or one part of history he had access to, especially in those times, in 19th century. He couldn't really go places, check so many sources because his aim was not to become a historical writer. His aim was to become a novelist. Yep. He wanted to build to, to, to build characters, to have like a gothic fictional book that will entice readers, especially during the 19th century, which again, uh, we might take this for granted, but folk traditions and all these eerie um, society uh, behaviors we we kept having until recently uh, were still going with very much strictness. Mm -hmm. So um, he realized there is not much known about this land called Transylvania which actually comes from the Latin word through the forest Transylvania ah, okay. Pennsylvania in the US means the forest of Penn Transylvania, Silva or Silvanus is forest Silvanus was the god of, of uh, forests in ancient uh, uh, in ancient uh, traditions so trans means through, through the forest the reason why they called this region Transylvania is they did not know what is happening beyond the forest. So people would come back with oral accounts, and that's where the, the, that's what they would write in the history books because history was oral. And unless you would go yourself and check yeah. those things, then how would you know? And it is true that he did not travel to Romania, not a single time. But he did found a lot of historical accounts in a library in London, in various other places. He connected with people who have been to Transylvania, put all those accounts together, added his own personal touch. And there you have it. You have the best selling book in history at that moment. And it continued to be so for almost 100 years. Mm -hmm. Apart from the Bible, the Quran and maybe the Torah, the biggest religions in the world. uh, Dracula was the best selling book in history until recently when, you know, Game of Thrones appeared, Harry Potter, you name it. Well, if you think of all the the sort of offspring that Dracula the book has had, he's he he created almost like a monster anyway, didn't he? Because you think of all the different things now that have come, you can see the influence of the original Count Dracula in. 
But I'm interested in Vlad himself because I mentioned to you before, I, I've, I've done a lot of research on Richard III. And Richard III is painted to be this awful person who killed his nephews, blah, blah, <laughs> killed his nephews. Blah, blah. Blah, blah. <laughs> um, and I don't believe he was the person he was painted to be. Now, obviously, Vlad, he had the nickname The Impaler because that's how he liked to execute people. And um, But the interesting thing, some of the historical stuff I was reading up in preparation for this historians were saying well actually look at who wrote that it was the saxons the saxons didn't like him very much so they were making out that he was killing thousands and thousands of people and i mean some of the stuff they said he did it was kind of like really um oh the one about women uh with babies they would impale the mother with the baby still feeding off them and yeah. then they would kill uh, all this stuff and then one when he was a, he was imprisoned once he was actually torturing the rats he could find because he had to do something he has such a blood lust that he had to do something <sighs> but there was like... no cctv back back then we would have liked to get the cctv footage from those from that prison <laughs> cell or from can you imagine that would have been brutal well, I don't think he was doing... I, I kind of like, well, the person who was telling those accounts was being paid by people who didn't like him, sort of roughly. So a bit like Shakespeare wrote Richard III to be a bad guy because he was being paid, paid by the Tudors who didn't like him. Would he really have been... I mean, could he really have been that psychotic that he would have done stuff like that. Yet he still did do so much for Wallachia as an area to keep it the Tur the Ottomans, sorry, out. Would he really have been that much of a bloodthirsty psychopath? It's hard to know, right? It's What's still your, all it right. Might, gut feeling, gut feeling. You've studied this for it, a long it time. It still might be a. Uh, it still might be a mystery. Um, but I do have quite a lot of clues that would take us into the direction that, as always, the truth is not black or white. Mm -hmm. It's gray because that's how things were in, in medieval times. They were gray. Yeah. So speaking of killing thousands of people, that was the norm yeah. in medieval times. That was actually what everybody was doing. Let's remember just the battles in battles, people would lose thousands and tens of thousands of people in one battle just because on territory expansion and, and, and so on. Um, the Inquisition, which came around three centuries later, mm. killed thousands of people in all sorts of brutal, terrible ways. So Vladimir Impaler, even though he got the nickname, he did not invent the impalement mm. technique. He actually learned that while he was a little boy and he was kept a hostage into the court of the Ottomans uh, as, uh, let's say, tribute or as guarantee that um, the, his father is not rebelling and he's paying all the time the tribute to the Ottoman Sultan. Otherwise, the Ottoman would execute his heir. Well, he had his um, younger brother was, with him. Didn't he have his younger brother with him? He had his younger well, brother yeah. with him. So to answer your question, I would say it depends, as usually. It depends who you ask. Was he a hero or was he a villain? 
Or was he a, a normal guy who was born in just the wrong circumstances? He had to take certainly very diffi- difficult decisions mm-hmm. and he had to do something about it. He was just put in a posture in which, what do I do? Mm-hmm. Whatever decision he would take was bad. Mm-hmm. This we can ask every single historian. And I think we, they can all agree he was in a play, in a bad place. Regardless of what he would have done, he would have ended up in a bad place. Mm-hmm. If you stay and try to appease the Sultan and the Ottomans, that goes against your core beliefs, against your core religion, against yeah. your tradition that you were born, against to, to, your, to your coat of arms that you have the noble blood, because he was coming from a royal family that um, built and founded Valachia itself. Mm-hmm. So he had the reputation to, to keep. Um, it's bad because if you want to appease them, then you start in this conflict. And plus, you have the Western influence that doesn't want the Ottomans to be expanded or the Hungarians or the Transylvanians and so on. Um, plus, your, your people, your common folk that are suffering due to this tribute you need to pay every year. And one of the most difficult tributes to pay was the Janissary contribution. The Janissary was a military corp, elite corp in the military army of the Ottoman Empire. The way they would have never ending recruits and soldiers into their army was by recruiting young boys from their families, take them from their families from the conquered territories Mm -hmm. every single year from a very young age so that they could brainwash them, put them into the military practice and become ruthless criminals in the wars that they were waging. Right. And imagine sending every year from your common folk thousands of little boys that would be sent to be brainwashed and then sent on military expeditions to even come back and attack their own families in the provinces that they were born in. Mm-hmm. So this is just an example. Of course, we can get deeper into much more reasons why it was a complicated situation. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if you would turn your back to the Ottoman Empire, Romania of those times, the Romanian provinces, Wallachia, um, Moldova, Transylvania was sort of an autonomous, semi-autonomous region, rather controlled by the Saxons, not incorporated necessarily in any country. It was actually ruled by seven uh, free cities inhabited by these uh, German Saxons Mm -hmm. that had special rights from the kings of Europe. Mm -hmm. And... um, if you were siding uh, against them, you were the first barrier in front of the largest empire that Europe has ever seen to come and conquer them since the Romans. Yeah. And obviously they would come and pillage and plunder everything until there's only ashes maybe left. Um, but you didn't want to do that. So because nobody else was asking, was helping you in Western Europe because they had their own uh, fights to do right mm-hmm. france and britain yeah and spain was busy conquering the world and then italy was split in so many provinces and then the hungarians they had their own issues as proven that during uh, vladimir paler's reign he was the last of the eastern rulers that kept the ottomans away um, maybe if he wasn't there the ottomans would have conquered other regions like hungary earlier who knows we don't know exactly 
But that's when the fall of Constantinople happened as well in the 15th century. And this is when the largest armies of, uh, of Europe would have invaded you. So mm-hmm. very tricky situation. Is he a, was he a hero? Was he a villain? It's hard to say. Uh, I do believe he had, from a psychological point of view, a lot of childhood trauma. Yeah. Nobody spoke like that in the medieval times. What do you mean trauma? Does does that exist? You need to take decisions. Uh, So uh, I'm sure he had some sort of a deviant behavior or, you know, more exaggerated behavior. But as a ruler in medieval times, very few rulers that kept their throne were not ruthless. Mm. If you wanted to keep your throne in medieval times, you needed to be ruthless. Yeah. Because otherwise you would be deposed by somebody who would be ruthless, who was ruthless. Um, so uh, r- obviously Romanians or people around these areas, the, the, the Balkans, see him as a great national hero because he kept the independence of the provinces for as much as possible. Uh-huh. If you ask the, the, the Turks, maybe they will say this guy was crazy. He was impaling. He was going against not the Geneva Convention, but, you know, against common sense in military. We, we fight like men, like brave men. We don't put people on, on stakes in the middle of the forest for the birds to, to eat from their organs and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, and we fight in a battle like, uh, like uh, true men, like mm-hmm. brave men. Or When you have 5,000 soldiers and there's a... 50,000 to 100,000 army coming, marching mm-hmm. towards you, you need to find all kinds of, you, yeah. you, you might you might appeal, you might use all kinds of tactics, like the scorched earth tactic, poisoning the wells, burning the fields, the crops. Mm-hmm. Um, so can we, can I, can I nowadays judge him? No. Can I say, was he a hero? Was he a villain? I believe he was just a ruler, a person, that he was born in a position in which he had to take decisions that were very complicated. And I don't believe, I think he had one of the hardest lives in uh, medieval times. And I do believe he had used all his resourcefulness, put his trauma to good use, put his vengeance to good use, to whatever, in a sense, to to follow his um, his quest of keeping the country independent. Um, now, if we were to debate longer in how he got to the character of Dracula and so on, I will let you ask a few more questions. <laughs> well, I agree. I mean, I, I think that's the best that's the best overview of it I've seen. I mean, one of the things I tend to argue a lot when people talk about history is they look at things that happened in history with today's eyes. So that you like you say, they're judging, you can't judge what, Vlad had to deal with with today's sensibility because it was a completely different time also I mean you mentioned about things he went through as a child the fact that as you say him and his brother were imprisoned by for want of a better term they were not necessarily they were, they were treated because they, they were, were treated blood, well and they were taught they and they were... had education but they they yeah they were held captive his older brother who was originally going to take over the leadership he was blinded with a poker in red hot poker in both his eyes and then buried alive. And they're saying impaling is bad. I mean, <laughs> I, I kind it, it, it also, it, it, they don't, what, what, what I tend to say to people, when they say one person's very bad, well, look what the other side would have done. 
what would the other side have done if, well, they beheaded him, didn't they? But what would the other side do? They would do something just as bad, but because they, you know, because of this whole legend that's built up, it's, I mean, the other one I think of, um, we didn't mention this beforehand, is someone like Countess Bathory, that people say about her being a murderer and, 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 and a vampire and all this. Well, no, she was a woman trying to run an estate in a very, very patriarchal society and was the punishments that she issued to some of those maids would have been delivered by other sort of large houses. But if, if they would have been delivered by a man, it would have been not that's, a problem. Exactly. That's what I was <laughs> going to say. So, um, um, I mean, I, that's why I sort of was interested in talking about Vlad, because I always think there is more than what we hear that creates the headlines. There's more to it. And yeah, the, the being outnumbered, as you say, he had to think and he was damned if he did and damned if he didn't. So I do find his whole sort of, yeah, I find it very, very interesting. But what I also find interesting is the more I was digging into this is in Romania, you have so many different types of vampires with so many different names. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to even try and pronounce some of them, but one of the ones I thought I thought was, you've, you've got one, and I don't, Zburator? Zburator, the flyer? Zburator, Zburator, the flyer. The flyer. That's the good type of vampire. Pardon? That's the good type of vampire. Is that it's a the good vampire, vampire that visits the ladies at night. The, the, the young, handsome man who seduces women. But, yes. So you've got that type of vampire. And I mean, the whole thing with vampires, it isn't just, they're not just bloodsuckers. They, 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 they meant to you know, get energy vampires and everything yes. else. You have Strigoi? Strigoi? Yes, Strigoi is one of the most famous ones, I would say. Um, and you can have dead vampires and alive vampires. You have, what was another one I saw? Moroi? Moroi? Yes, Moroi. Yeah. Moroi. Just like it's it's. It, we have Prikolich. We have uh, all kinds of. We yeah. have uh, Zine. We have uh, it's too many. And they've all got little <laughs> sort of little um, say USPs to them, haven't they? Unique little points that's meant yes. to be their character. And the more, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And the more I was finding out about them, the more I was saying, well, actually, that is Count Dracula. As in Bram Stoker's, he can do that. He can. He's not one of them. He's he's kind of an amalgamation a, of a lot of them, exactly. isn't he? Exactly. You discovered his secret. You discovered just discovered Bram Stoker, so you might be in a position to to just write the next best-selling uh, gothic novel. Yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> don't know about that. Why not? Um, maybe I'll write one about Zaburators because I found them quite interesting. But yeah. What was, what was, I, I then found something which kind of blew my mind. You and I were talking before we came on air about the, uh, the 1989 revolution. Was it 1989? Yes. Again, when Ceausescu uh, yes, was yes. overthrown. Indeed. Now, some of the people listening to this may not be old enough to remember this. Sadly, I am. Um, and originally when Ceausescu took over Romania, he was actually did quite a lot he wanted to work with the west he wanted to promote the country but then i think it was a case of greed got the better of him and he i mean one of the one of the the, the, the policies he he um he i think he banned term abortions for women uh, and women over i think it was women under 40 weren't allowed to use contraceptive because he wanted to double 
the birth rate and all that kind of thing. So basically he was he was turning women into breeding mares, for want of a better term, because he wanted to bring the population up. Now, he was overthrown, quite bl a bloody overthrow. We were talking about it. Bloody affair. Yeah. And him and his wife... There, there was it was um I think they call it a drum court or a drum hearing in out when yes, they were captured. Like a, yeah, like they, a mock it, trial, like a very staged yeah. trial. Well, the reason it was called a drum, a drum hearing or a drum trial is it was something they used to use when they used to use a big drum, military drum, as the table to put the paperwork mm. on. Any and they they were executed very, very quickly. I think Christmas Day, wasn't it? The 25th of December, it I was. think it was. Um now. What I then found was people were concerned that Ceausescu would come back as some kind of vampire because he didn't have a proper burial. It's true. It's actually true. It it's true. very true. Yes, it's true. It's people, a lot of people who are very concerned. And I, I, could, I could swear nowadays, 2023, uh, there are people in Romania that would still believe that Ceausescu... Uh, could you know come back as a vampire and so on so these folk beliefs that bram stoker discovered around 150 years ago and incorporated them into his gothic novel mm -hmm. based on these vrkolak zina prikolic santuader moroi strigoi vampir oh i'm loving this accent all sorry black keep going keep going <laughs> <laughs> all of these put together they were very deeply rooted into the romanian spirituality uh -huh. and conscience yes nowadays if i go and talk to my granny my grandma you know how are you doing in this and like i want to wash some clothes or a sunday or something like that no it's a sin we cannot do that all kinds of um wow. uh, traditions uh, that are deeply and rooted not only in religion, but also on some pagan beliefs. Because the way the Balkan spirituality, I would speak here about Balkan and Romania in particular, because Romania maybe is a little bit of a more outlier. Um, it, it, we had the territory of Romania more than 2,000 years ago, before Christ, let's say, uh, before the Roman Empire, we, there were some barbarians, some people called the Thracians, very similar to the Greeks, but they did not have a, a written alphabet. Mm -hmm. However, they were very wealthy. And they would keep fighting against the Romans for a while. They had their own words, their own vocabulary. To this day, more than 2,000 years later, we still have some of these uh, words in our vocabulary, like barza, varza, viesure, whatever animals and uh, plants or so on. Uh, what happened is that they had their own gods. They had, they were polytheists. They had multiple gods, right? Like it was the norm back in the days. Then they took some of the Roman gods. The Romans came in, they conquered these areas. They put the Roman traditions uh, on top. People started celebrating those. Mm -hmm. Then the dark ages come in, the Roman empire starts falling. And what happens is that Christianity is being spread out through uh, the rise and fall of the Roman Empire. And then the Christian traditions are being put, if we look in history, actually they are mixed 
with pagan, with Roman traditions, because Christmas falls on uh, the celebrations uh, in uh, December that the Romans had as well, with the Saturnalias, or in June, when the summer solstice starts. Uh, we have big celebrations in Romania nowadays. So they tried linking these new Christian beliefs with the existing celebrations because people are very um, reluctant to change in general. We as people from a psychological point of view. So it was a lot easier to put these celebrations on top of something already existing. Yeah. With this, we already create something weird from the multiple gods, multiple creatures, you know, uh, wolves turned into men, uh, um, uh, werewolves, uh, uh, bats turned into fires, all these beliefs that started evolving from ancient uh, folk tales mm. with the Christian traditions that also has a little bit of supernatural in it, then you come up with all kinds of stories. And remember, in medieval times, even later, medicine was not so advanced. Mm. So when somebody can have a heart attack or who knows what other condition, we say in a coma, right? People would say he's dead, he's done with. They bury him, put him in the grave. Two hours later, he comes back. Mm -hmm. What do you believe in 16th century? What do you believe in 17th century and so on? Yeah. Of course, you think he's a vampire. Um, but the last case of vampirism in Romania or of engraving the dead mm. to make sure you do a proper burial happened less than 15 years ago. So there were people in a village conveniently called Moroi, Moroieni, which means <laughs> the village of Moroi, the village of vampires, the people of okay. uh, the village of ghosts. Okay. Where, um, where one man, one person um, undug uh, the grave of all people from his mother-in-law. I know it sounds funny, but it's true. <laughs> It's true, you can look it up. Uh, took the grave out, took the body out, just uh, buried a few days before. Um, took the heart out, liver, internal organs, grilled them, decapitated the, the, the woman, put a stake through the heart, ate some parts of the organs to make sure there's nothing left in there. Um, and since then, he mentioned to the police, because in 2007, when this happened, the police came and had to file a report. <laughs> Uh, and had to change the law into telling people that it's not okay to desecrate the graves and to still do such cases in the 21st century. Yeah. And his explanation was that he had terrible nightmares. He was feeling terribly sick. Uh, and since he has done a proper ritual of the dead, a proper ritual, uh, burial ritual, he escaped from all the nightmares and everything else. And he would happily stay in jail rather, rather than face all those bad symptoms that he had from his mother-in-law's ghost following him everywhere and uh, causing him so much trouble in his life. So there is no surprise that in 89, when you mentioned people still believed such stories and um, it happened uh, a lot of times. Wow. So now it's not allowed to do this. If, if people, if you are coming to Romania, please do not do 
such a ritual of the dead, please inquire with the tour guide. We will find a volunteer. Maybe we can do something about it. But <laughs> maybe have a friend who you don't like. Who knows? I'm kidding. But uh, well, wasn't but one, one one of the things? If they think there is a moroi moroi in a, a dead a dead vampire, a mora, they yes. would send a black gander or something into the graveyard to wander over the graves, and the grave that it refuses to step over, that's yes. the one that they're going to dig up and yep there's a lot there's a yep there's a lot of uh, different uh, methods that they would use Uh, again yes uh, put some black powder around it and they wanted to see if there's any steps around at night they come check the next day they will put um, a little candle with a box or something kind of they they keep it away from from uh, from wind and anything else and if that is not lit the next day they would also believe that's that's haunted Um, what they would do you know like the Traditions as old as the Egyptians, when they would bury the body with something with them, they would turn the body uh, face down Mm. because if they would wake up, they would wake up and they would go into the underworld. They would not come back into our world. Mm. They would put a mirror in front of them because if they would see themselves, they would again go back and they would not be able to hunt um, these uh, areas. They would put, like the Egyptians would put maybe um, uh, something like jewelry or something like that. We would put garlic. Mm-hmm. Not because they wanted to keep a bad breath with the deceased, but because uh, they would believe that garlic would fend off uh, any bad spirits that would come out from his body. Not the body himself, but his body. Um, and this is still used nowadays in Romania. Um, maybe not in the coffin, but we have our own version of Halloween. Mm. We have the Night of the Wolves, based on these pagan beliefs that I just explained, uh, at the end of November. Mm-hmm. It is a pagan belief that happened. It was the Day of the Wolves, the Night of the Wolves, and all the underworld is opening up and all the creatures of the night are coming out. Werewolves, Precolege, and so on, all these um, uh, creatures. And um, it is also the day of St. Andrew, who mm-hmm. it is, is said that he preached these lands in his way, travels to Western Europe and all, also to, all the way to Scotland, because he's the saint, the saint, the national saint of Scotland mm-hmm. and the national saint of Romania as well. So these holidays are intertwined and people in the villages, they took what they heard, speaking of oral tradition, and they made something out of it and they propagated it. It it is still alive today. So you would smear your windows with garlic. If you come to Romania end of November, you would see, guaranteed, that you will see um, windows with garlic uh, beads around them Uh uh, on the balconies or wherever. Uh, especially in villages, to fend off all the bad spirits. Some people go as far as smearing the handles or the uh, edges of the windows uh, to keep away all the vampires. And obviously, we eat a lot of garlic in our food, in our cuisine. I'm a fan of garlic. Yeah, I'm a fan of garlic. (laughs) But if you are, then uh, I will tell you a secret. It doesn't keep away only the vampires. It keeps everyone away, around one meter radius from my experience. And uh, in COVID was the worst because in COVID we had to wear masks. <laughs> yeah. So, 
so there's a lot of these still happening nowadays, but it's a mixture of folk traditions dating from you know centuries old that we keep uh, keep having in Romania, and, and it is one of the reasons why it makes the country and the regions so so special and different. I mean, we've only scratched the surface on the folk tales and myths uh, uh, yes. that, that I was I was looking at. I mean, one of my favorites. I really don't know how to pronounce this. Leli, Eleli, Yele, Yele. Very sort of like they they would lure young men and um, mm. yeah, and oh, and the, the, one of the ways to stop them coming to your home was apparently to have a skull of a horse outside your yes, house many, and all this. Many, many regions had many different ways to deal with these creatures, right? Yeah. In some areas, for example, Moroi and Strigoi are used interchangeably. Uh-huh. Sometimes Trigoi is an undead vampire, or sometimes the Moroi is an undead vampire, and maybe sometimes Trigoi is just uh, the the uh, the ghost, mm-hmm. the soul of that vampire. So it depends. Um, Yele, uh, and sometimes Sinziene, which uh, they're also either used interchangeably, or in some regions they mean separate uh, ladies. I call them the mermaids of the forest in a way because they do lure. Not sailors, but you know, lumberjacks or people yeah. who go uh, foraging and uh, horse riding in there. Um, and it is said that once you fell under their curse or their love spell, then you're never coming back. And yeah. a lot of women have lost their husbands to these yelling. Not sure if they were just mistresses, and then they started uh, all these myths and lore about uh, around them. But it is something we do today. We have a big bonfire. Uh, it is during summer solstice, when as opposed as uh, winter solstice, we uh, say that the heavens open up. Mm-hmm. And uh, there are some creatures, these yele, for example, that are making all kinds of incantations. And if you are aware, uh, uh, away uh, from your home too far deep into the forest, um, around midnight on summer solstice between the 22nd, 21st and 22nd of June, which uh, is uh, very around the corner, is right around the corner, then you will um, be drawn into the other world, not the underworld, but into the other world, the parallel world. And, and this, is, a, this is in all the regions of Romania. This, this is, is in all the regions. It's all the regions. Like few years ago, one year, two years ago, just a pop band of Romania uh, released a song called The Night of Senziene. So the, it's everybody knows. There is not a single Romanian that doesn't know about the Yele. Uh, there's a lot of uh, people who try to appease the Yele, men and women. Women, for example, they dress, especially young ladies, to appease the Yele. They um, dress uh, before summer solstice in nice traditional uh, Romanian summer dresses. And they put basil under their pillow a night before. And it is said that the next day you make a bonfire uh, on the 21st. You make a bonfire to keep away the yele, to come and take your husband, boyfriend, the guy you like, and so on. And they come, they dress very nicely, so they're attractive. And they invite the boys from the village or from the town to come next to the bonfire. They have conversations. And it is said that you find your loved one 
during that night with the spell and the bonfire and so on. In all honesty, it's quite romantic. And mm. I think the chances increase quite considerably if the ladies are doing that. And in villages, some villages, uh, women, young women still do that. Uh, or some people go to these celebrations and they dress themselves for these celebrations specifically. So we still have uh, these traditions, which are very nice to to, to witness. In, it's almost in, like a medieval blind date. It is. It is exactly like that. You might have known the guy maybe from the village because villages were not that big. Mm. Um, but uh, back in the days, that's how you would... Uh, continue your life you would mm -hmm. you know get married and you would uh, go uh, forward with uh, with that because you didn't didn't want the yellow to come and take uh, take uh, the guy seduce your man uh, away from you what's yes. your i mean like i say we could talk about this for ages but what's what is the most frustrating misconception you hear about romania from people um I think a big one is between Dracula and like the character Dracula and the real Dracula, right? Mm -hmm. It's not it's not frustrating because once again, if we go back to Bram Stoker, I think he was one of the persons who who could come up with the best marketing plan that we had for Romania, as you said, is like a whole saga around it. However. He mentioned Transylvania. He did not mention Romania because Romania as an official country, independently recognized by all countries in the world and so on, yeah. it wasn't until 1918 at the end of First World War mm -hmm. when Transylvania was also incorporated with the rest of the regions and it became what we know today of Romania. So a lot of people know about Transylvania, but many people don't know that Transylvania is in Romania. If you ask me, I would say that is the most frustrating <laughs> misconception. Okay. Um, so once we know Transylvania is in Romania nowadays, uh, and we know that Vladimir Taylor, Vlad Dracula on his real name was a medieval ruler. Was he bloodthirsty? Was he not? Maybe. Was his last name meaning devil? Yes, it meant. It but doesn't it also mean devil. dragon? Doesn't it mean dragon or something? It did not mean devil. It actually meant son of the devil. Oh. So his his father also bore the name uh, Vlad. But oh. Once again, very popular name in here. And um, his father's name was Vlad Dracul, mm. which means Vlad the devil. Because this was more of a common uh, nickname the folk uh, or the boyars the, the romanian nobility gave him due to the coat not the coat of arms but the um, special award he got from uh, the pope mm -hmm. the pope was trying to entice eastern europe to fight against the ottomans once uh, he would see the threat uh, of constantinople falling and the threat of Central Europe falling off on, under the, the Ottoman Empire as well. So yeah. instead of sending their own troops and the money, they would say, here, get this badge. Mm. This badge will protect you. It is from God and you will succeed in your fights against the Ottomans. Good luck and Godspeed. No money and no troops for you. Deal with it. So um, this was a badge with a dragon with a cross on, his on its tail. But again, I was very proud. Very few people around these areas got it from the Pope. Um, but 
people in the region, they did not have HBO, they did not have Netflix, they did mm. not watch Game of Thrones, they did not know how a dragon looks like. They associated the dragon with the devil. Mm-hmm. In Romanian pagan beliefs, we go back to pagan beliefs, or even in, in the Bible, the dragon is a little bit associated with, with the underworld or with mm-hmm. something bad, right? This thing, George killing the dragon or the serpent and so on. So um, from the dragon, the devil, and during those times, if you had a son, you would add an A to the last name. So right. Vlad Dracula had a, a son, he named his son Vlad Dracula, son of the dragon, son of the devil. But imagine when he was born, he was, you know, just a few months old. Already his official name was Vlad, son of the devil. So imagine people already were scared of him. So I don't know if it's, uh, you know, self-fulfilling prophecy or not. Um, But uh, it is true that was his real name. And it impacted a lot. All the uh, pagan beliefs impacted all these as well. Wow. Well, one of the things I did read actually about Transylvania is that they think that people have enhanced sensory perception because it's so magnetic in the ground. It could be. I haven't personally experienced that. Right. However, um, the reason why most people would say that, and even historians came and did many documentaries on the energetic levels of um, Transylvania is because those ancestors of Romanians, they are names that we discussed before, the barbarians, the Thracian tribes, they were called Dacians. The territory of the former Romania was called Dacia or Dacia or Dacia. Whatever you want to call it, there's a big brand of cars nowadays that mm. emerged in communism and continues nowadays all around Europe and in the world. I've seen it even in islands in the Caribbean. So it's cheap, reliable brand of cars coming from the name of our ancestor wow. uh, ancestors, the territory from there. And um, due, due to this fact, the, um, the, um, the Dacians uh, and due to their religion that was pagan they had a triangle they believed in a lot of geometrical forms so they had a lot of jewelry a lot of gold in the mountains of transylvania Uh, in front of the romans for example they decided to build a sacred um, triangle to protect them uh, with the help of the gods and they buried treasures in three different corners that would more or less encompass Transylvanian mountains nowadays. Um, And in between those circles were with very uh, impressive gold treasures that Mm. historians found. And some of them were sold on the black market and so on. It's very interesting. There's a documentary on the hunt of Transylvanian gold. Yes. By History Channel and other TV. So Netflix. Yeah, it's on Netflix, yeah. If it's on Netflix, then there you have it. Mm. Um, And they uh, believe these superpowers, you know, these are enchanted treasures imbued with the gift from their highest priest. The high priest was also the chieftain of these tribes as well. So uh, this is why a lot of people do come to Romania in some of these mountains to uh, recharge energetically, to go find all kinds of tunnels in the mountains and other uh, centers of uh, energy. Wow. So uh, it is for sure, it's a very intriguing land. Again, wow. Transylvania, the land beh- behind the forest, um, has enticed 
uh, writers, historians, travelers alike, especially starting with 19th century, 1800s. This is how Bram Stoker got his ideas. He actually studied a few other books. One of them was Transylvania, his, its history, uh, uh, its product and its people. It, the name was Charles Boner, a British historian during those yeah. times. Uh, another one, I think, uh, I, I, it escapes my mind, the name of uh, the lady, she was also a historian, Emily Gerard. Emily Gerard was her name. And uh, she wrote a, a book on Transylvania, the land beyond the forest, its superstitions and its folk tales. So these were all written in early 1800s. Uh, Bram Stoker, not only he stumbled across these books, but also checked historical accounts, as you mentioned, in the library um, and in the books, historical books, and put everything together and kind of created this character that has a lot to do with our original live person, uh, ruler, Vlad the Impaler, Vlad Dracula, but it also contains a lot of the pagan beliefs and a lot of the folk traditions, a lot of the lore that Transylvania and Romania as a country still has today. Wow, it's been fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. <laughs> I mean, I can tell you, you, you run a tour company, Romanian Thrills, obviously, <laughs> which we mentioned at the beginning. So to, to finish it off, if someone was coming to Romania, what, what should they say to someone, a Romanian, to not make a new friend, but be embraced by the country and the people in the country? Um, it's a tricky one because as we mentioned before we got into the converse, into the uh, podcast, I would say uh, Romanians, due to the secret police being everywhere in communism, mm. uh, are a little bit wary, right, from someone just coming to them. So you will never see a random Romanian smiling on the street. If you see him smiling, very happy, going around, looking you dead in the eye and being very cheerful, he might be insane. I'm, I'm not kidding. He might be insane because traditionally this is how we are in, in here. However, once you open up a little bit, you start a conversation, they see your friend and and so on, they will become, they're, you know, we're very loyal people, very, uh, we open up, we take things um, um, very seriously in a friendship and so on. You can count on a Romanian if you need the help or so on. Very welcoming, take you to your home, into their home and have no issue sharing food and drinks and so on. So we are united a little bit uh, around pork meat, because this, okay. uh, the Ottomans did not like the pork, the pork meat, so we tried to put as much pork dishes in our cuisine as much, so we don't Sorry. share the food with the enemies. It is true, it is true. Uh, and then we also like our alcohol, because okay. again, in Islam is is not allowed. Of course, it, there's a little bit of banter, right? A little bit of joke I'm making as well, but. Mm. Um, the, the, an actual saying in Romanian is the best vegetable is pork. So if you would come to a Romanian and say, let's eat some mich, which are some skinless sausages traditionally invented in Bucharest, um, made out of pork, uh, and drink a beer together and get to know each other or whatever, then I have not heard of a Romanian to refuse that. So how do I say that in Romanian? Let's have a beer and eat mich. I would say bere shimich question bere mark. Simich. Bere is beer. Yeah. She is uh, and 
Yeah. Mich is, you spell it M-I-C-I, and it literally means small ones, little ones, because okay. they're like a small little kebab type of meat, but with uh, only pork. It's uh, it's very different. There's nothing like anything anyone has tasted before. This is my okay. feedback from everyone who tried them. I grew up with them, so I'm biased, of course. Mm-hmm. But I have not seen anyone that uh, is not a vegetarian and didn't like them. Uh, we serve them with mustard and with a big pint of beer. And that's where the conversation starts. That's when you bond in Romanian. Okay. Uh, if you want to go full board, you go for a shot of Tsuika or Palinka, which is a spirit of around 40% alcohol, 50, 60. In COVID, I had 80, 80%. Um, and the, the, the guys who made it, who brewed it, or he distilled it, um, were using it also as disinfectant in COVID because they uh, the supermarkets ran out of, of disinfectant during those times, if you remember. I do, I so, do. So yes. Bereshimich, Bereshimich, question mark, and a, a, a quick, a very short word that would put uh, everyone a smile on is norok. 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 That means good health, good life, good luck. Uh, we use it, every, we're kind of lazy, you've seen, we don't have Vladimir Vladislav, we have Vlad, and we don't say uh, bless you or cheers or we only have one word. We say norok. When you cheer with the with the beer, when you someone is sneezing, or when you just want to say uh, you know good luck in your marriage, we just say norok. Norok. Yes. And on that note, thank you so much for. Your, I, I say I could keep you talking for hours, <laughs> Vlad. I really could. I find that absolutely fascinating, and I do hope to get to Bucharest, and I will let you know if I'm going to be there because we've got that house you were going to show me with the large dog on that street. Yes. Mm. That, that, that's, that's a secret. That, that's, we only keep that for people who come in person. So I'll personally take you there if you do Good. come. Um, I'll show you a few of the interesting stories that we don't have time for the podcast in here Wonderful. in the middle of Bucharest. Uh, Bucharest itself is a little bit of a haunted city with its troubled history. And mm. I call it the, his, the city of contrasts due to its very many different transitional periods in its, mm-hmm. uh, in its history. And with that in mind, yes, I will invite you for, uh, for a meal and for uh, a beverage of your choice. And we can cheer, we can say Norok, and we can say Norok to our listeners because they had the patience to go through so many and so little in the same time. <laughs> Definitely. Oh, well, I hope you guys have enjoyed listening to that as much as I have getting to chat to Vlad and finding out just a bit about the true history of Romania. So thank you ever so much for listening. And I'm sure there'll be another podcast soon. Keep watching. Have a good evening. Sleep tight. And don't worry too much about things that go bump in the night.